0: I'll be reading from the New King James Version, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Philippians four, ten through 12. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need.
1: I hope you keep your Bible open at Philippians 4. Philippians has been called a thank-you letter, uh, much like an extended thank-you note. And certainly there is more to the letter than that. But one of the significant features of Philippians is Paul's words of thankfulness toward these Christians in Philippi. They had sent him a needed gift. And according to chapter 4, verse 15, no other church had shared with him the way they had. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Not only that, they had sent to Paul more than once. The next verse, verse 16, says that. Even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And Paul wanted to, based upon that benefit that he had received, he wanted to express appreciation to them. And so you have that statement in verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Now the apostle wanted to be very careful that no one would misunderstand what he was saying. And he may have believed that the words, now at last, might have caused someone to take that in the wrong way. As if he was saying, well, finally you did it. And so he quickly adds, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Paul recognized that they cared, it just hadn't been the right time. Incidentally, think about that for a moment. I want you to note that Paul trusted their concern for him, though he had not heard from them. One of the things that worries me about the cell phone age is if you don't answer a text in 30 seconds, you don't care for the person. At least that's what some people seem to think. And and we live in this age of instant connection. Paul didn't live in that kind of time. But he understood that even though he had not heard from them, he had not received an, a later gift from them until this one came, that it wasn't an, an occasion that they didn't care for him. The same apostle in 1 Corinthians thirteen seven wrote that love believes all things. In other words, it believes the best if it can. Now Paul also knew beyond this. That the Philippians giving to him would be to their benefit. Verse 17 says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. We talked this morning in, in our adult class, and hopefully in your adult class as well, about Jesus talking about his disciples would be fruit bearers. They were branches, they would bear fruit. And Paul says, this is fruit that's bearing to your account. Jesus himself had said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And their gift enabled them to share in the work that Paul was doing. I'm proud of the fact that over a long period of time, many of you have been generous in helping others to, to do the work that you may not particularly be able to do, to go overseas to go on mission trips, to do other things. And I hope that has been fruit that has been born to your account. This gift that Paul received would help to meet physical needs. But he wanted to make it clear to them that his life had not would not have been ruined if there had been no gift. And so in verse 11, he makes that amazing statement. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The the scriptures clearly show Paul as a man of learning. In chapter 3, he will mention being a Pharisee. And though we often see the flaws and the failures in Pharisees, we must not forget that in their day they were the really serious students of the law of Moses. And not only did many of them learn the law, they became teachers of the law. You remember uh, that our Lord would say uh, to Nicodemus, who was also a Pharisee, in John 3 verse 10, He called him a teacher of Israel. So here was a Pharisee who had learned and had become a teacher. Paul was a man of learning. In Acts 22, verse 3, Paul says that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law. Gamaliel was a well-known uh, Pharisee uh, who had the respect of others. And, and Acts shows people listening to him as he makes a talk. And Paul says, I learned From this man, and Paul obviously believed that when he mentioned Gamaliel's name, they would know this would be a credit to have studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Even Roman governor Festus recognized Paul's learning. In Acts 26, verse 24, even though he does not say it in a very positive way, he does credit Paul with much learning. He knew Paul was a learned man. And so, yes, Paul learned a lot. But here was perhaps one of the hardest lessons he ever had to learn. And I believe today it's one of the hardest lessons that you and I have to learn as well. To be content. Paul had learned to be content. And it's what you and I need to learn as well. I want to just spend a short amount of time with you considering three questions about Paul and contentment. But let's do more than just think about Paul and his contentment. Let's see what we can learn for ourselves as well. So first we ask the question, what did Paul claim? Well, clearly he claims that he had learned to be content. If he learned, then it, we must believe that it was not something that was natural to man. That this was an acquired thing. This was something you had to get that you didn't automatically have. The dictionary tells us learning is, quote, the acquisition of knowledge or skills through experience, study, or being taught. And I wouldn't be surprised if you could say that in Paul's case, all three of those things played a part in him learning to be content. Experience, study, and being taught. It wasn't natural to Paul. In fact, we might even be surprised that Paul could say this. Because when you think of his life, and you think of what kind of person he seems to have been, you would wonder if Paul could be content. In Acts 8, as we see him early uh, through Luke's account, he is breathing threats against the church. He is imprisoning people in Jerusalem. But when you come to the next chapter, he's not even satisfied with that. And so he goes and asks for permission to go to Damascus so he can ferret out Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem. That's a man who has a driving passion. Even in his ministry, we see Paul wanting to go places and to preach to people and to be involved in his ministry in a meaningful way. So, we cannot imagine it was easy for Paul to be content, just as it's not easy for us. You see, for some people, I suppose this claim of Paul's would cause them to have a low estimate of him. Because, you see, we in our society are often encouraged not to be content, we are bombarded with ads that encourage us not to be content with who we are or what we have. Do you think it's an accident that after the 1st of January, you see about umpteen million advertisements for Peloton and, and uh, Weight Watchers and Nutra system? you think there's, that's an accident? Now, there's nothing wrong with exercising. There's nothing lo- wrong with losing weight. But what I'm saying to you is that advertisers know that their goal is to make us discontent. You have a two-year-old car, that's too old. You have a four-bedroom house, that's too small. They want you to believe that life is not good if you're content. Some people would say being content is not what I want. But it's what Paul had learned. Hopefully you, can, you and I can see this As a worthwhile prize to be gained. I think Paul in saying I have learned to be content. Is saying that he has learned a good thing. He has learned something valuable. After all he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6. And said now godliness with contentment is great gain. You gain a lot. If you live a godly life and it is coupled with contentment. You gain a lot. Second question, what did Paul learn when he learned to be content? I think we ought to start maybe with some negatives. That is, some things that Paul did not learn. He did not learn to fake it. You see, he could have simply said, I'm content, when he really was not content. But Paul wasn't faking it. Now, the Stoics of Paul's day, a group, That had developed with the philosophy that you really didn't get shaken up by anything. And for that group of people to be content was not to care. That's how you reach contentment. You just don't care. And so for the Stoic, if you broke a dish, you don't care. If one of your animals dies, you don't care. And for the epitome... If the dearest and closest person in your life dies and you don't care, then you have achieved a great goal of Stoicism. Well, Paul did not feel that way. Indifference is not a virtue. Jesus told of a priest and a Levite who passed by an injured man with unconcern. But our Lord didn't commend them. He didn't say it's a great thing that they didn't care about this man. In fact, he commended the action of a caring Samaritan who responded to the man's need. It also didn't mean that Paul had learned to be self-satisfied. That he had said, well, this is all there is. I'm, I'm okay. I don't care how far I go or what I do. He had achieved a great deal in his life already. But he would have to admit this, and this is still in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected, but I press on. I want you to understand, and I think you do of course, that there is no contradiction between pressing on and being content. Paul is not saying I press on because I'm discontent. He is pressing on as a contented person. Neither was Paul saying he was resigned to fate. Some people are fatalist. And uh, Paul was not saying, Woe is me. I just have to live with all of my difficulties. That was not Paul's approach. In fact, he would write to these people, and, and that's why this is such a wonderful letter and why so many people love this letter. He would say again and again, Rejoice in the Lord always. And, I, and again, I say rejoice. Here is a man in prison rejoicing. So Paul is not a fatalist. The ten spies saw more wrong than they saw good in the promised land. And because they saw in their vision more wrong than right, they were ready to give up. Don't go in. Don't try to conquer the land. Not Paul. Paul was not giving up. Paul was not self-satisfied. So what did he learn? Well, he had learned acceptance. He could accept whatever would or would not happen in his life. This truth saturates this letter. In prison? Okay. Out of prison? Okay. Life? Okay. Death? Okay. Paul is not saying, I have to have it my way or I can't be content. Paul is saying, I can accept whatever God gives to me. This is the man who had a thorn in the flesh. He wanted it removed. God said, I won't remove it. Paul said, okay. Then it's best for me. Paul had learned to be in control rather than to be controlled. You see, the Romans could imprison his body. They couldn't imprison his spirit. And even though Paul is physically confined, he is spiritually free, even in a prison cell. Circumstances didn't control Paul. How sad it is, how sad it is, when we let our circumstances control us instead of us being in control. Now we see what he had learned in his life in verse 12. Listen, Paul had learned. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Paul had mastered all the conditions of his life. You see these extremes, hunger, full. But Paul didn't stumble in any of those. Being full was not a detriment. Being hungry was not a detriment to Paul. He accepted and he lived. Prosperity can ruin people. We've seen it. You've seen it. People have become more concerned about what's in their wallet than the one who gives to put in their wallet. Poverty can ruin people. When people uh, began to think too much about what they don't have, then they can't be happy. But neither of those would ruin Paul. Whether he was rich or poor, whether he was free or in prison, didn't matter. Success can cause discontent. Not for Paul. Paul could have said at this point in his life, "Look! look at all that I have done. Why should I be in a prison? Look at my learning achievements. Look at everything that's been a part of my life and the respect I used to have. I've seen it, I've seen it in preachers, unfortunately. And, and I've seen it in others. And that is, some preachers, when they become successful and become well-known, thrive on that to the point that it ruins them. They begin to think they're more than they really are. Not Paul. Paul learned to live humbly. Edgar Goodspeed's translation says he learned the secret of going without. What a great learning experience that is to learn to go without. We live in a time when we hardly believe we can go without anything. You ever had your electricity go out and it hadn't been out, but maybe five minutes and you're already climbing the wall. Um, Price of gas goes up five cents. Everything's ruined. Paul had learned to go without. And he'd learned to live with health issues. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was that Paul had to endure and that God would not take away. But Paul could write this in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. Listen carefully. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. No, Paul was not a woe is me person. He said, I, I'm not going to let this thing that I have to deal with in my health ruin me. And it didn't. Paul had learned to live without everyone's approval. Eddie talked about this morning and about this particular thing of approval in our uh, adult Bible class. And uh, I could sympathize with what he was saying because preachers really like approval. Why why shouldn't we? We're great people. And, And everybody ought to like us and we ought not to have any enemies. and Everybody ought to be supportive of us. Paul didn't have everybody's approval. He was surely no different than we are in that he wanted it. He would have loved to have had it, but it wasn't always possible. The same people who tried to worship him as a god tried to kill him. That's how quickly things could turn for Paul. He learned to live without everybody approving of him. Paul even learned to live without his physical freedom. We often thank God in our prayers, and correctly so, for our freedom. But sometimes it almost seems as if we're saying, and this is the only way we can be happy, if we're free. Someone has said, Paul perhaps knew more about the inside of Roman prisons than did some of the most hardened criminals of the empire. Probably true. But being in a prison cell did not make Paul discontented. How did he learn this? This great lesson. How did he learn it? Well, not by seeking it. Because see, you can't seek contentment any more than you can seek happiness. The person who says, I'm going to try to be happy is sort of like the person that says, I'm going to force myself to go to sleep. You ever done that? I'm going to force myself to go to sleep. No, you're not. And you you can't be content by saying, my goal, I'm going to work until I'm content. Contentment was the result, the byproduct of Paul's life being lived according to God's plan. He didn't have to seek it. He found it through what he did in his relationship to God. He found it by being fully devoted to God. I wish I knew the words. To say completely what Paul was. Fully, absolutely, completely, totally devoted to God. I believe the apostle could easily have quoted Psalm 42 verse 1 as his own words. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Paul loved Serving God. He loved his relationship with Christ. He loved being God's child. But Paul also found contentment by seeking to serve. Rather than seeking to be served. You know the most unhappy people that I can imagine being around. Are those people who are always looking for somebody to do something for them. The people who are happy. The people who reach contentment are Those people who learn that service is not demeaning, it's what God wants. It's the imitation of Christ. And Paul found it in certainty. Hear him as he writes to Timothy. I know, listen, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day second Timothy 1 verse 2. Paul was absolutely sure of the adequacy of God. His relationship was not one that had doubt one day and conviction one day and doubt another day. It was always the same with Paul. certainty. I think about sometimes Paul writing Romans 8:28. and I would have loved to have seen the expression on his face. When he wrote, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Let me close by getting personal. Sometimes people say, I hope you don't mind me getting personal. I don't care if you mind. I need to get personal. Can you say... I have learned to be content. Is that something you can honestly say? Well, you shouldn't say it, of course, if you're outside of Christ. How could you be content in a lost condition? But that's not contentment. You can't be content until you're in Christ. And you can't say it as a Christian if you're not what a Christian ought to be. If you're not imitating Jesus, if you're not living as Paul was living, To be content, you need to be right with God. Our invitation song is an encouragement to you to make whatever needs to be right, right. If we can help you to put on Christ in baptism for the remission of your sins and to be a part of the body of Christ and to begin that wonderful journey that ought to lead you to eternal bliss. If we can help you do that, we'd like to. If you're a Christian and... You need us as fellow Christians to pray with you and for you. We're gladly uh, willing to do it. If you need to come, come while we stand and sing.